It is great to be back with you. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast. Last time we were together, I was discussing a little bit about my move and how the first step in our move was giving away our sukkah in Portland, Oregon, and now here we are in New Jersey with a brand new sukkah. I've been through different moves in my life, from Israel to the U.S., within the United States, and even within one city. And when you move, you are drawing a a line where you can look back at a defined period in your life, and that period is coming to a close. When I lived in Portland, for example, we once moved from farther out from the shoal to closer into the shoal. We lived in a house from 2005 to 2015 and just did a lot of raising our young children in that first house. And that exciting period of our life seemed to close as we just moved one mile up the road. And moving really helps us to appreciate something that is true for all humans, whether you move or not, and that is that life is not permanent. Even if you stay put, the days fly by, and earlier periods of your life are in the rearview mirror. I'm in a synagogue here. We have not moved physically, and yet there is a past in this building that is no longer here, as well as a future that we've not yet met. And all of this impermanence is something that we consider on Sukkot. It is Chol HaMoed, as I'm recording this podcast, and our impermanence comes into sharp focus through the interplay between Klai Yisrael, the Jewish people, and the nations. Now, on Sukkot, we consider the nations of the world and their relationship with the creator of the universe because in Zechariah, quoted in the first day Haftarah of Sukkot, we find that in a future time, nations will bring offerings on Sukkot to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim, to ha- they'll bring offerings to Hashem. And by that measure, it would seem that the nations grow closer to Hashem as we advance to the Messianic era. Now, on the other hand, we also find in Zechariah and the prophets that there is an anticipated future cataclysmic battle called the War of Gog and Magog. Maybe it's also called Armageddon by others. And in that struggle, Gog will lead Magog in a war against the Jewish people. And in the end of that struggle, God's name will be revealed to all peoples. We seem to focus then on on two different ideas. Because on the one hand, we foresee a time that the nations will front a struggle against the Jewish people prior to the the Geula, the redemption. And on the other hand, the end result of that is that the non-Jewish nations will recognize and serve God and even celebrate Sukkot on some level. So Sukkot is a time to ponder the non-Jewish nations vis-a-vis Hashem, God. Pesach and Shavuot are more specifically Jewish holidays because they celebrate Jewish historical events namely the Exodus and Mount Sinai, Har Sinai. Now, the Sukkah too, you may ask, also recalls the clouds of glory, and that's true. It does recall the clouds of glory that encompassed us or enveloped us in the wilderness. But Sukkot really has a very universal message because not all nations are taken out of Egypt, but every human being needs to seek refuge under the wings of God's presence. Taking refuge under God's presence is symbolized by the scant roof of the sukkah. And when we think about nations on this holiday and the, the, the sacrifices that are brought over the course of the Chag that represent the nations, what should our attitude be? Should we see 
the non-Jews as a sort of enemy of the Jewish people, ready to confront us in a cataclysmic war? Or do we see them as future servants of God? On Sukkot, do we view ourselves as being at odds with the non-Jewish culture around us? Or are we supposed to sense an underlying shalom and harmony? And how are we supposed to survive Armageddon, that future war that is supposed to come? Now, this is an important question to consider in recent years, the Pew Research Center released data reflecting a shift in American society away from organized religion and Christianity. In fact, we live in a society where secularism and atheism, at least in some parts of society, are on the rise. And the vocal opponents of religion see God and religion as the antithesis of progress, science, human reason. And there seems to be a scorn uh, of religion to the point that advancing traditional ideas of religious faith can garner attacks that one is patriarchal and prejudiced. I see this kind of attack against religion quite often on Twitter. And the secularist movement also seems to have some pessimism about the future of mankind. Just the other night, I was in my sukkah with my family and my guests, and we're we started to sing the benching, the grace after meals, and we get to that fourth bracha, and we're singing, who hativ, who mativ, who yativ lanu, God is good, he does good, he will do good. This is the fundamental belief that there is a God who's good, guiding the universe. This is an optimistic foundation of Judaism that so much of society lacks. I saw a recent study from CNN surveying atheists regarding how they feel about friends praying for them in times of crisis. Turns out they're not neutral on the matter. That's right. Many atheists would rather actually pay money for people to not send their prayers and wishes in hard times. That's right. The average atheist is willing to pay $1.66 to avoid the prayers of a priest or minister and $3.54 to avoid the prayers of non-clergy believers. So be considerate of your atheist friends. I guess, depending on how many religious friends an atheist has, it could end up costing them a lot of money. But anyways, let's get back to those nations in battle. We know that Zachary and others foresaw this future war of Gog and Magog, and the identity of these nations is a bit of a mystery. What, who is Gog and Magog? And Rav Shimshin Rafal Hirsch comments on the identity of these nations that will front a war against the Jewish people. And he points out that the root word of both of these names is Gog, meaning roof. Both Gog and Magog share the root word Gog, two gimels, meaning a roof covering. And on Sukkot, the Jewish people protest against the idea of having a permanent roof. Just while everyone's packing up their barbecues and their deck furniture, going inside from their sukkah, from their outside, we, the Jewish people, we leave the protection of our roof. And right before the winter, as the rain is starting, we are making this declaration, our roof is not the source of our protection. We take refuge, rather under the wings of God's presence, under the sparse roof that is the sukkah. For Gog and Magog, it is really the Gog that is fundamental, the roof. Gog sees their permanence, their safety within the physical world that they build up. 
And we as Jews see our ultimate safety as with Hashem. Now, in the Hebrew language, magog means spreading the gog philosophy. Just like the Hebrew word ma'or is spreading or light, so to magog is the expression, Rav Hirsch says, of spreading the idea of gog, spreading the idea of gog, spreading the idea that man is protected and secure in his physicality. And that's so much of the tension between Israel and the natures and, and the nations that can be captured by this idea of the gog, the permanent roof, versus the schach that we celebrate. While the nations take refuge under the roof, the Jew expresses the belief that it's not our physical world that we build up that offers true security. And when we dwell in our sukkah, we revel in that idea. Our physical world is never permanent. In fact, you know, I, I felt very comfortable in my old house in Portland, and yet someone else is living there now, though I am blessed to be in a new home. What is the source of Gog and Magog's implied rejection of God. According to the Talmud, the second chapter of Tehillim Psalms describes the war of Magog. Lama ragshu goyim ulumim yagurik, Tehillim says. Why do the nations gather and talk in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand against Hashem and his anointed one, saying, Let us cut off their cords and cast their ropes from ourselves. Belief in God is incredibly optimistic. And at the same time, it places a restraining cord upon man. Judaism sees God as the ultimate answer to human ills. The conclusion of human history that we optimistically await for is found in the Sukkot Haftarah, and it's quoted in Aleinu as we say, Hashem, God, will be the king of the, over the entire world, and his name will be one. He will be recognized by all. Now, Gog and Magog advance the idea of a protection of a cover other than God, and they might see their ultimate hope in government, in science, or human reason. And Judaism does not reject these ideas or institutions. All these things, government, science, have a, a great place and contribution. And yet, we believe that all these powers ultimately bow to God. And it's at this time of Sukkot, exactly when the nations are checking the security of their roof, that we go out under the scant schach, and in doing so, we dwell apart as a nation. Our belief in God is so deep, we foresee in Zechariah, that in the final conclusion of history, all of mankind will recognize the one God for the benefit of the world. But in the meantime, the nations are bound to become entangled in ideologies that ascribe power to a force other than God. And that is a struggle in the real world. We are impacted by our society and, and friends. When the Chag is finished, we may go out into the world and find opposition to Jewish beliefs. Maybe that's our little version of the Armageddon. But what happens when we do that? What happens when we do have that struggle with the nations or the philosophies around us? And I think one of the important things is, is that we dwell in the Sukkah now, as I'm recording this podcast, but throughout the year, we can think back to the Sukkah and ask ourselves, 
what is truly permanent. We go into the sukkah under that very that very thin roof to think about what's really covering us and what's really valuable and what we're really investing in. The relationships of people with Hashem, the mitzvot, which are the greatest investment in our lives, the impact of mitzvot and Torah in our lives. These are the things that truly define us. The sukkah is a holy place. It's called Sukkot Shlomecha, the sukkah of God's peace. And when we take refuge in the sukkah, we seek shalom with Hashem. And after we emerge from the sukkah, we foresee a future of great shalom. Shalom for ourselves, for our, for our families, for mankind, and for God's name. Thanks for being with me. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast.